You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I am your host, Michael Kushner, and I'm so excited that you're joining me for this episode. Thank you as always to the Broadway Podcast Network and thank you for listening. And if you could follow me on Instagram at Dear Multi-Hyphenate or at the Michael Kushner and rate, subscribe, comment this, uh, you know, on um, this podcast, that would be very, very, very helpful. <laughs> um, I'm really excited that you're joining me today. This episode is awesome. And uh, there's so many incredible things happening in the Broadway TV film industry. So if you're able to see a show, please do it. I just saw Suffs at the Public Theater and absolutely loved it. Um, I saw POTUS last night. Uh, there's just some really really great wonderful stuff happening um so please get out and and uh depending on your comfortability of course uh see theater please do it uh moving on to this episode i'm so excited to introduce you to roman molino dunn roman molino dunn is an award-winning composer billboard charting music producer and co-owner of mirror tone studios he has worked in film and tv and with glad nominated artists as well as grammy winning artists it's a great conversation we have two very i think different views about collaboration which um I think is really cool. Uh, I I tend to put an emotional, um, uh, you know, point of view in collaboration. Uh, and when Roman sort of takes a step back and and uh, well, you'll hear it in the episode. I think it's really kind of cool. I never looked at collaboration from his perspective, so I learned something. I learned a lot of things in this episode, and I hope you do too. So enjoy. And as every episode starts with your multi-hyphenate, I start with a quote, except I'm not very good at, uh, I'm not very good <laughs> at instilling, um, not tradition, but uh, uh, routine. So some episodes, if you're listening to this episode for the first time, if you go back, I say that I always start with a quote, but I don't always start with a quote because I'm a little bit of a mess in that way. But I do have a quote for this episode and it is this one sort of rung i guess for lack of a better word rung out to me um sang out to me uh because we're going to be talking about music and sound and creation and so i came across this one and it's music is the movement of sound to reach the soul for the education of its virtue and that was said by Plato. And I am so excited to welcome my guest today, Roman Molino Dunn. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. How are you doing? I, I'm doing well. What do you think of what do you think of that quote? And I'll say it again. Music is the movement of sound to reach the soul for the education of its virtue. Does that mean anything to you? Oh yeah. I mean that's that's a heavy one to unpack for sure. Um 
I, I mean, sound and music um, definitely have reached my soul on many occasions, uh, you know, and generally to find the virtues within. So I, I would wholeheartedly agree with that quote. Um, I'm not even sure I have the capacity to fully unpack it. You know, like I said, it's pretty dense, but uh, it certainly strikes a chord with me. <laughs> Literally, I love that. Um, you know, we're we're uh, we're primarily talking about the creation of music today, which is really exciting because I feel like on Dear Multi Infinite on the podcast, we sort of talk about how to approach art, and you know, and that's great, but. It's, it's sort of rare where I get to talk with a, a fellow artist about the art itself. Um, talk a lot about approaching it and preparation and organization and boundaries and things like that. But I, I'm so curious about producing music. Um, and the things that you have done. So I'm excited to go on this journey with you. Uh, what, to start out, what would you say your hyphens are? Sure. Um, well, I, I, the two main things I spend most of my life doing uh, creatively, and I guess professionally as well, um, are composing music for filmmakers. So uh, television and feature films are the main things I do. I used to do a lot of commercials as well, but now it's more feature films and television shows. Um, and then the other half of what I um, spend doing uh, spend my time doing musically is producing for artists. Um, and there's quite a bit of an overlap in the approach and even the mindset when you're doing uh, either scoring to picture or um, producing a song for an artist in the sense that you're making music for somebody else, essentially. And so when it's a film, the director is that somebody generally. Um, when it's a song for an artist, the artist is essentially the director, I'm trying to help them fulfill their artistic desires through the musical skills that I have. Um, so maybe it's less multi-hyphenate in the sense where it's it tends to be a similar skill set, um, but one of them is truly, uh, uh, you know, a multimedia expression, you know, film and television, where I'm just one piece of a larger artistic puzzle. And then with, uh, you know, writing for an artist and producing for an artist, it's really just about that one uh, piece of music. And it doesn't necessarily exist in a larger multimedia setting, although that's changing too. A lot of artists now, the music is just one part of their package. Um, yeah, so so those are the two main things I do artistically that I would uh, consider my multi-hyphenate um, uh, facets. I love that. I mean, just because I'm interviewing you doesn't mean that you have to be a multi-hyphenate. I think what's kind of cool about this podcast is that the listeners can sort of decide for themselves how they want to apply these lessons, these stories, these uh, type of this this type of artistry to their multi-hyphenate identity. So like I just had um, Lee Silverman, who's a Tony-nominated director on my podcast, and um, she, she's a director. And uh, I think she does, she does dabble in other things, but I have a lot of people in the, who, who listen to this podcast that are, um, 
that are actor, director, producers. So they could listen to those lessons that Lee said and add them to their, her director thing. So there are going to be people that are listening that are director, music producer, instrumentalists, you know, ex- writers, et cetera, that will hear what you have to say and tie them. So, so can you tell me about the process of a music producer? What are the first steps on both ends? How does someone approach you or how do you, some, how do you approach someone else? Sure. So, um, I mean, music producer can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. Um, in, in the, uh, my professional uh, services that I offer, a music producer, I'm performing the role of creating an instrumental for an artist Um, essentially writing the instrumental, writing the track, if you will, and recording their vocals, editing, mixing, mastering, the whole thing. I I do what's called a song package service. So for example, an artist will come to me and say, I need a few songs. A lot of times I'm I'm working for reality TV stars. And so um, they tend to be multi-hyphenates as well. They're singers, but they're also on television. and they'll say, I'd like a song. I'd like a song that's kind of like this, or maybe they have an idea for a song. Um, and so they'll uh, tax me with creating the instrumental for them. And then they'll write the top line, as we call it, the vocals. Um, and then they'll come into my recording studio and uh, record it. And then I'll edit it, mix it, master it. And uh, that's pretty much how the process of it. So it's a soup, soup to nuts kind of um uh, job, if you will, being a music producer in, in this essence. There's other ways that people use the title music producer. Um, and historically, it's had different implications as to what you'd be doing professionally. Um, but that's kind of where it's all led to in my career. That's amazing. So when you say someone writes the melody line or the top line for you, is that literally just like they will literally be like, this is, these are the vocals, this is how I want it to go, where they are responsible for coming in with like, uh, with a guitar line, with a piano line, with a synthesizer line, like what, how much does one have to prepare before they can meet with you? Uh, so most of the time, nothing, uh, they don't prepare anything. So, uh, most of the songs I've, I've done, um, I'll start by writing the instrumental. So I'll write all of the instrumental, every instrument, the drums, the synthesizer, the guitars, whatever the instruments are, uh, a full a full track minus the vocals. And then I'll send that to them and they'll write their vocals to that track. Um, that's generally the process that, uh, that I've been using, but sometimes people do have like a demo, you know, maybe they, they are more of a musician um, and less of just a singer and they'll play guitar and sing and they'll say, Hey, can you turn this song idea into a full radio ready track for me? Um, but that's a little less common, uh, cause I tend to work more in the pop and EDM space. And like I said to you earlier, I do a lot for, uh, drag Queens and reality TV stars. And, uh, that process is generally what I described earlier where I'm writing an instrumental and then they're coming in and being inspired by said instrumental to write some vocals to it. So you've done work on drag race, which is, you know, my favorite TV show I've talked about. (laughs) I've, I've talked about drag race in multiple episodes before. Um, and I've had drag race girls on the show. So what, what, in what capacity are you associated with drag race? Because I'm about to nerd out. So. Sure. Sure. So, 
Um, and I did see some of your guests on there and I've worked with a few of them. I, I saw recently you had Peppermint on. Um, and so I'll tell you about a lot of work I've done with Peppermint because I've done a lot. And actually the work I've done with Peppermint's been uh, even, it's been less usual. It's it's not always the process I was just talking about. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that because it's really interesting, a lot of the stuff that she's doing. Um, but I have pretty much every season, I think maybe, maybe starting in season two, it might've been season one. I just can't recall. It's been a long time, right? That, uh, but essentially I've done songs for all of the contestants on almost every season. Um, not all of the contestants, but on every season I've done a song for a contestant. Uh, so a lot of them have their own recording careers uh, and put out music. And so they'll come to me and I'll do what I just spoke about for you. Um, Although sometimes like in this last season, well, actually it was all stars. I did a song for Pandora. Um, like when she comes out on the runway, you know, she did a song called ridiculous. And I wrote that with her. Um, and that song did really well because it actually, uh, rose to number two on the iTunes comedy charts because it was, it was like actually a bona fide comedy hit in that sense. Wow. Um, yeah. So sometimes it's on the show, but a lot of times it's, um, you know, their recording career because they need to keep putting out content and music to keep their fans engaged once they're on the show. Um, and it's not always drag race. I mean, sometimes like there's all these new drag shows like uh, Queen of the Universe, right? Um, I just did a song with Novazar um, on that show. And it's just, it's great because these these drag queens are artists. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're creating great art. Sometimes it's comedic, sometimes it's meaningful, but whatever it is, they're very interested in, um, you know, writing music and, and providing content to their, their fans. So it's been really cool to go on that ride with all of them. So when do you, when does it become art for you? When is it like, when, when can you separate the tedious efforts and the day-to-day -day things where you're like, okay, I just got to get those out. Cause we all have them. I think when we're all like, you know, my day typically starts with um, emails, just like weeding out all of the dumb, stupid emails that require like a line for me to respond be like, yeah, got it, whatever, whatever. So, but then, you know, you move on to sort of the next part of the day where it becomes a little more uh, engaging or, um, a different part of your brain when for you does music producing and music creating really reach the 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 point of artistic of an artistic experience for you oh i, I try to uh feel that way the the whole process really um yeah i mean running the business aspect of it you know so like just getting the contracts taken care of and the emails and all that stuff. Maybe that's a bit less artistic, but I try to remember that anytime I'm working on music, uh, I should treat it as such as art. Um, and, you know, throughout my career, I've lost sight of that here and there and had to remind myself, you know, cause maybe you're working on a song that you don't actually care for. And uh, that's not actually your job to care for it. Uh, but then you start to realize how lucky you are that somebody is willing to collaborate with you or, you know, pay you to collaborate with them. Uh, and then once you reach that feeling of gratitude uh, for what you're doing, I think it, it's immediately um, 
it immediately becomes easy to understand uh, that this is meaningful and this is artistic and to get into that headspace. So, uh, yeah, I'd say I'd pretty much always view it as art, regardless of if it's like that song for Pandora. It was tongue in cheek. It was a joke, but uh, that's the purpose it served. And she was doing something artistic. So I had to uh, be in that headspace when doing it. That's great. Um, it's, I, I have certainly been there where, um, on, you know, as actors, we're, we're, we're taught to leave our baggage at the door. You know, uh, if we're having a bad day, we have to leave it at the door, drop it and, and focus on the scene or the rehearsal or, or whatever. Um, does that, does that sort of apply to you as well? Like you have to, you have to drop everything or what are sort of the unspoken rules of music production that, um, maybe someone that wants to be a music producer doesn't know yet, or they won't know until they actually get in the room, but sort of what are the rules of thumb when collaborating for you that you can't, you can't mistake when you have your first gig? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I think I find it more in film uh, scoring uh, as a film composer than I do as a music producer, but that's just because of the nature of there being more people that you're collaborating with, but the rule still applies, which is that, and this is uh, something I, you know, again, over the years I, ha I had to relearn, I knew it. Um, and whenever I was able to act upon this advice, that's when I had the best product always. And that is that it's not yours. Um, and you should be okay to, um, you know, uh, essentially scrap something and not be offended. So what I mean is like, you need to write music that you love so much that you're willing to submit it but not love it so much that you're not willing to change it. And if you just remember that it's because it, it's really hard, you, you know, like when I'm writing a score for a movie, it'll take me if like two months to write something. And then somebody all of a sudden starts cutting it up and muting it and deleting it. And if you let that hurt you uh, person and take it personally, you're never going to uh, a enjoy the process or B, be able to work with the same people again because you're taking everything personally. And it's very hard because music is so personal. And once I realized that it's not my music, um, and that, that was a lesson I learned rather early on when collaborating and it served me well. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's very hard. Like you said, leave your baggage at the door. Uh, it's one thing to say that and to know it. It's another thing to actually act upon it. Oh my God, I know. It's, it's so hard. It's you know, because when we're actually dealing with, you know, like something like COVID, right? Like yeah. we were, when we were connecting before this, you know, we started, we were talking about how we're long haulers. You're having breathing issues. I'm having other issues. And you, you moved um, across the country to help heal. You know, that is baggage. That is going to, that, those things, these things are going to be affecting us for a very long time. Um and there's something interesting that you said that I think it's not that it separates the two of us in our approach to performance, but, or, or to, for, to, to art. Uh, I didn't mean to say performance said to, to art. Um, I, I try to use while I'm leaving things at the door, I try to use those things that are affecting me to sort of inform what that creation is going to be. And you're, you said before that it's not yours. I want to know if, when 
ever, when is the moment for you when it does become yours, when you can look back and say, that's mine, I created that, and the stakes, like, the stakes um, involved, uh, the stakes are high because that's my creation. Does that ever happen, or you pretty much separate that? Yeah, um, I think that's happened when I'm working not as a producer or as a film composer, but just, um, you know, if I've ever had time to write a piece of music for myself. Um, but w whenever I am working on somebody else's project, I try to remember that while I can draw on my life experience and uh, treat the first expression of the music as something dear to myself, as soon as it's submitted, uh, it's no longer mine and I shouldn't be touchy about it. Um, and also, I mean, even in the beginning of it, it's really not mine. Like when I'm scoring a film, I'm reacting to somebody else's art and therefore it's part of this larger uh, piece of work and it's not mine. Um, I'm putting part of myself into it for sure. Uh, it's hard. <laughs> it really is because you, you have to love what you're doing. Um, but again, you can't love it too much, essentially, um, or, and just removing the ego from it. Um, I think it does come full circle a little bit though, to answer your question directly, if, if there is a point where it becomes yours, um, I want to say when you do something and it's accepted, like when you're writing a, a score and the director says, okay, we don't need to change that one at all. And then you go, oh, that's, that's mine. I did that all by myself, but you really didn't. You would have never done it if it wasn't part of the project. Um, and the same goes for writing a song for an artist. Um, yeah, it's, it's all collaborative. I, I think when I was younger, I, I tended to think that I was an artist. Um, and now I tend to think that I'm more of an artistic collaborator, um, you know, at least in, in, in my job. I, I'm certainly an artist at heart, um, but when, when it's for work, it's not about me. I love, I love this insight. And I think it also protects, it, it protects the artist self because then you could sit, you can leave that at the door. You could leave your leave your baggage at the door and, and be able to focus on the task at hand without letting the ego get bruised. I think that's awesome. Um, so when do you, when do you create on your own? When do you create, uh, and it is a fully artistic um, experience. When are you inspired to do that? And do you get to do it often? I do not get to do it very often. Um, I, yeah, I, it's a good thing really, uh, because, you know, the dream was always to be a professional composer, um, whether that's a producer for artists or writing for directors. Uh, and that, so that was always the aim. And so I don't need to necessarily explore, uh, things devoid of other individuals necessarily because in doing what I do for other people I explore such a vast variety of emotions that I wouldn't by myself and so I actually almost find it difficult these days to uh, write music without that seed um, like if I just sat down to write something for myself I'm not sure I have as much to say without a collaborator saying let's let's focus on this part of the human condition right um it's it's that kind of dialogue that really gets me going artistically i love that you 
kind of said that you're happy that you don't get to because that means you're working. Yeah. It's yeah, definitely. that's kind of a really interesting um perspective on on things. I um because I I love working. I love working. But I long for the times when I can create fully and it sort of goes into the um the multi-hyphenate thing people are like how do i know when i'm a multi-hyphenate am i a multi-hyphenate uh how do i figure out the types of hyphens to put in my identity and i always say it's it's four things it's um are you in demand for it are you getting paid to do it uh does it bring you joy and does that hyphen affect the others and there are certain things that we do as artists that just bring us joy or, and we don't want to make money off of it or we we're not in demand for it, but it just brings us joy and we just want to create. And it sort of uh, allows us to be a less, less judgmental on ourselves. Um, Cause I think, you know, when I start to create and there's money on it, I get, there's money involved. There's a price on it. Someone's paying me or commissioning me or something or hiring me. I get a little um, in my head is, was it what they wanted? Is it worth it? Did I do a good job? But it seems like the way that you approach art and creation and these collaborations is that by deciding already in the beginning that it's not yours, it sort of protects yourself from that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it, it's it's even less about protecting, I think. It's about remembering the goal. And so the decisions that I'm making are to your point of, is this good enough, right? Um, I'm asking it based from what I perceive my client's perspective to be. So is this what they're looking for? Um, is this to some type of standard that we've agreed upon, um, you know, that that's what's driving me as opposed to um is is this what i would do <laughs> is, yeah. is this as good as my taste is well it doesn't have to be it has to meet the taste of uh like you said who's commissioning you um and i think it actually protects me a little less in the sense that um it's really it, it, it's like hurtful to see something killed that's really good like when you do something really good and someone asks you for the revisions uh it really does hurt and so collaborating in that sense puts yourself on the line um and again but that's just why i have those those ground rules that i set before that that's to definitely just to help me uh stay in line with with what i'm trying to do i was going to ask you if there was ever a specific instance where you're like, all right, that, that stings, that sucks, where you were like, okay, this, I can't separate. Was there ever a time that you experienced that? Yeah. Um, and that was when I needed to remember though, what, I mean, that, that is like the default defensive mechanism as an artist. Uh, and all artists are pretty much putting themselves on the line. You're exposing yourself, your feelings, your technique, your skill set, um, your life experience. Uh, and so as soon as somebody shoots that down, you immediately disagree with them as like a knee jerk reaction. 
Uh, and you have to pretty much reprogram your subconscious in order to not have that reaction every time. Uh, but it sneaks back in. And But there was never like a, a blowout or anything like that. I've been pretty mellow about that stuff. I think there is something to having enough projects that you're not sensitive about it. Um, a lot of times I see it from, uh, you know, either younger producers that work for me or um, even some clients where this might be their first project where they're very married to feedback and very uh, touchy about things. Um, and you just have to realize that that's where they are artistically and it's okay. They're on a journey too. Um, and so I never really get up in arms about it. It is what it, I mean, these people are paying you for, for you to do art with them. It's, it's wild, you know, you just go for the ride. Yeah. That's interesting. I, so do you, so when someone has a, a, a note for you or when someone has a, um, a change or do you pretty much just go, yes. And is it, is that pretty much, or do you, do you step in when you're like, look, I know I totally get it. Cause in the headshot session with me and in the, in the studio with me, there are times where a client is hell bent on making a decision. And I am all for that. Like I want you to come guns a blazing, prepared, ready to make choices. I love that because then I can, I can figure out as opposed to me doing all the work being like, okay, well, you know, uh, who, whose careers inspire you? Like, who do you want to be? Is it a Dina Dina Menzel vibe? Is it a RuPaul vibe? Like instead of doing the work with them from the ground up, they're collaborating with me and then I can grow that. But sometimes a client will make a choice that I am like this, that cannot happen. That is not, that is not going to go well in your favor. So do you step in and when you're like absolutely sure that your collaborator is like taking this in the real wrong direction? No, never. I never. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's their prerogative that I'm, I'm helping them with their art. So it's wow. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Never. I, I think I've maybe when I was younger, I'm, I, I do remember like, no, yeah, that, yeah, no, I mean, I remember thinking it many times. See, I used to, I own a recording studio in Manhattan, um, and that's where I started producing for all of these drag queens and everything, um, and now I, I just own it now. I don't work sessions there anymore, um, but when I used to be in sessions, I remember thinking, why are you, you know, like an artist would do something, you know, like not tune a note or tune it, tell me to tune it poorly or do something that was just like, that's not, that's not good. Like your listeners aren't going to enjoy it. Um, but I would never ever lobby, uh, because again, I'm just trying to, if somebody's creative vision is God awful, um, you know, and I decided to take the job, I'm going to help them find that God awfulness. Uh, that's their, that's, that's what I'm here to help them. You know, they, they want tools to, to help them find that. So I'm, that's, I'm here to help people who can't do music or music production as well as I can to do what they want. Um, yeah. So that, that's always been my MO. I, I totally um, feel where you're coming from. And um, I actually have had a client actually come to me later, two years later, actually a drag queen who I will not mention the name of who said, why did you let me do that? Oh. <laughs> You know, this was the totally wrong direction. Why did you let me put out a song like that? Uh, and I, I explained that, 
you know, I, I just want to help you uh, express yourself and I can't, I can't be in charge of, um, you know, what that expression is, right? That's really not my place. Um, and so that's always been how, how I've been about things. And I, I think it served me well in the most, in most cases, um, there's probably more room for it. Uh, the more successful you become, I suppose, where people are, are saying, you're the expert, I'm coming to you. Right. But in my experience, every time somebody's come to me and said, you're the expert in it, I want your feedback. I want this. As soon as you offer that, they realize they don't actually want your feedback. <laughs> <laughs> they just want your skill sets, um, you know? And so that's fine. Yeah, I have run into that where a client will ask me a, like for genuine feedback and I'm like, and I was raised right. And I know, you know, you don't always have to open your mouth. You know, you don't have to always, even if it's true, you don't have to always say something. But I, I, uh, here and there, I will take the leap and I'll go, they're asking me for it and I'm going to give it to them. And those, they could shut down, you know, and, and it ruins the session. And, but that's, that's also, you know, it's, um, but I guess that's more my perspective on collaboration. It's like, if you're genuinely asking for my opinion, then I will give it to you. But I also, you know, and I'm no, I'm not saying that you do this at all, but I, I think I really am afraid of leading my clients astray um, because it's a visual and the headshot is a tool to get them into the room. Then they could do all the mess ups. Then they could be a bad auditioner and, and, and fuck up. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. My job is to get them into the audition room. So I think the stakes are a little higher for me in terms of I want them to do the right thing because I've noticed that the headshot photographer is always to blame for a lot of things. I'm not getting called in for audition. So it's, I need new headshots. Uh, you know, uh, I, whatever it is, there's a lot of different things and they just, they need new headshots. My agent, my agent isn't getting me appointments. My agent isn't doing this. My agent hasn't emailed me back. I need new headshots, whatever it is. So I feel like there's a lot of pressure on me to help my collaborator, my client, uh, because it's about, it's about a goal. It's not just about it's not just about self-expression. It's about a goal. Um, sure. But I mean, you could say that creating songs with clients is about a goal as well. It's to make, it's to create fan base, make fans happy, make more money off of it. I mean, what are some of the reasons why someone would come to you to collaborate? What is the, what is the end game? What is the outcome? Well, so again, yeah, it depends if it's for a film or uh uh, artists. So with a film, it's generally they need music for it to help express the content, the emotional content of a scene. Um, and so that's usually what I'm doing there. And then for an artist, a lot of times it's they need more material um, there or they have a message that they really want to, per, you know, get out there. Uh, sometimes it's one in the same. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my goal is just to help them uh, express themselves. And so it's the same with film, you know, like I, I don't really choose what type of music to put in the scene. Mm -hmm. I might choose um, 
how to manifest that and, and, and show that to a director and then they'll give me feedback on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of it, it's, it's their piece of, of art and I've just tried to help them discover it, you know? I love that so much. Um, and on a technical element, when do you find that your client or your collaborator has the most success when you're done with collaborating? What are sort of the things that you have seen work the best? Like, is it a tool like social media? Is it a, is it a use, utilizing a press representative? Like what, when you're done, what are the next steps? Well, sometimes nothing really. I mean, again, um, it's a little different between, nah, maybe it's not. I was gonna say it's a little different between film and uh, artists. And, but it's not always, sometimes they, you know, I am a service provider and they have no commitment to include me uh, in the next steps with it, right? Um, and that's fine, that happens a lot, especially like, you know, I'll do a film and then all of a sudden I'll find out it's it played somewhere, right? And it's like on TV, I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's nice to know, for me to know. Um, other times, I'll have worked very closely with them and they hired me specifically for my involvement. Um, and in those cases, you know, there, there'll be social media involved with it or doing like the, the last film I did was called snakehead. Uh, it was a Samuel Goldwyn film and it was in movie theaters and, um, you know, VOD and all, all that good stuff. And I did the whole press circuit, you know, so all the podcasts and uh, article interviews and all that stuff. And so I was in very close touch with the filmmaker there um, because we were on the team, so to speak. But sometimes when I'm just, you know, producing a song for somebody, um, they I'm not necessarily a featured part of it. It's just they want my skill set to help them. Um, and the success there is to see them do well. Uh, and if they do well, I do well. And that's all good. I admire your ability to sort of uh, compartmentalize. <laughs> but not, not in a, not, that's not in a negative way because I get emotional. I get emotional and I let my emotion, that's, one of, that's my Achilles heel, is letting my, emotional, my emotions get in the way. So I've been trying to be really good about not sending an email when I'm feeling heightened, <laughs> you know, because yep. I know I will regret that 99% of the time. I have to go to sleep. I have to wake up thinking about that email and be like, okay, I'm feeling calmer. I can see more of where they're coming from, where I'm coming. And so I appreciate that the fact that you're able to just be like, I provide a service then I let them be. And then if they want to include me, that's their prerogative. I think that is really admirable. And I think a really um, clear way to approach what we do. I think that's really awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Of course. Of course. And I think we can all take a lesson from that. And I know I will be. I think that is really awesome. Um, So you have two projects coming out, which is really exciting. Uh, The first one is Hey, I love you. And it's being released on Netflix on Valentine's day. Can you tell us a little more about it? Yeah, sure. I'm super excited about that one. Um, I mean, that was a film uh, that I do feel there is, you know, to your earlier point, uh, do you ever feel like there's some of you in a piece of music? And uh, this was one of those films where um, 
a lot of it was what I came up with. Right. And I, I, that's just an honor that just, and, and that was because I was approached by people who, uh, just liked what I do. And, um, we, we all got along really well. Uh, it, it was just a really great project from that standpoint. And that's not to say that they didn't dislike some things I wrote and I had to scratch them and start over on certain scenes and all that stuff. And that, that happened all the time. But again, you know, you just remember, uh, Hey, I just want to make this better. It's about the movie. It's not about me. Right. And then you find something really awesome and you're really proud of it. So, um, that's a film that was very unusual for me because it was an entirely different language. It was in, uh, it's a film that's made in Thailand. Uh, so it's in Thai and I don't understand um, that language. And when the phase I was brought in was before subtitles. Uh, and so I'm scoring this film, not understanding the subtleties of the dialogue, but it was a rom-com and we had this very specific aesthetic for this film, uh, which was uh, this, it's kind of 80s synth wave, what you'd call it synth wave, but uh, 80s, 90s, um, real cool. And so just leaning into that and playing on the actors who are just really strong actors, um, I was able to do it without subtitles. And then I got to do the final pass of the film with subtitles. And I was like, oh, wow, I really thought that was a sad line. It wasn't a sad line. And maybe there's a cultural difference in delivery. Uh, and I wasn't quite catching it. So that was an amazing project in that sense. Um, and uh, yeah, just really excited. They just, as, as we're talking today, uh, the January 18th, they just released uh, it on Netflix for the coming soon. So there's like that whole remind me thing now they have on Netflix where you can save things that are coming. Uh, so yeah, it just dropped and it'll come out on Valentine's day and then it'll be, it's not going to be in theaters in the U S unfortunately, but it'll be in theaters all over Asia because uh, of who's in it and th- throughout Asia, not just in Thailand, but in China as well. So really excited about that one. Very exciting. And you have something else coming out as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's in the producing world, and it actually just came out. So it came out on Friday. Uh, it's um, I produced uh, Honey Davenport's new project, uh, which is really cool because it's got a lot of other uh, Drag Race alumni on it. Uh, it's got Manila and Lala Ree and uh, Jackie Cox and um, love Jackie. Yeah, and Tammy Brown. It also has uh, Kevin Evians um, and. I think that's it. I'm also on it. I got a, I got a feature on a song. So. You better. Um, yeah. Well, I don't really sing on these songs, but sometimes when I produce songs, I, I'll get like a featured credit uh, if they, if they came to me for that. Again, that's just the same thing. I, even though I produced all those songs, I'm only featured on one, and that's just because uh, I they were they wanted me on that track for my namesake. Um, but otherwise, you know, I'm just providing a service anyway. That came out on Friday. It's doing really well. Uh, there's a few music videos that came out with it too. I mean, the Manila video dropped uh, like two months ago as like a pre-release for it. Um, yeah, so really excited about that project. It's kind of, uh, you know, it's that kind of good balance, you know, between dropping a film and dropping uh, a drag album where it puts you in that headspace where you can take creative feedback and not get sensitive, <laughs> you know? Um, your point earlier, I, I think having multiple 
projects in different realms help me keep that level head when I get the inevitable feedback that something needs to be changed. And that is a, that is a huge aspect of being a multi-hyphenate is the fact that we can let our creative, um, our creative uh, efforts grow and, and sort of blossom because we're using a part of our brain that isn't overly exercised when, when we sort of go from hyphen to hyphen. So um, if I'm producing, you know, a web series, it's, uh, and I'm away for like, you know, a week or so, I'm going to be so excited to get back into that photo studio because it's a part of my brain that I haven't exercised in a second. So that being away from our art sometimes and, and doing something else really helps uh, not only do we spend time away from it and we miss it, but we learn lessons that, that help us just like in this podcast right now, like talking to you about separation and compartmentalizing and your sort of outlook on collaboration is going to help me. Um, I never thought of things that way. And it's going to, that lesson is going to help me when I'm back in the studio tomorrow or the next time that I'm going to be collaborating on a, on a web series or um, a new musical or something. So I think that's really exciting. And uh, there's lessons in everything, everything that we, we approach, um, every person we talk to. And uh, I'm so glad that we have this conversation today. Where can, uh, where can we find you on social media, Roman? Sure. Uh, so I'm probably most active on Instagram, I would say. Um, and my handle is electropoint music. Um, yeah. And, or you could search my name, Roman Molino Dunn, but, uh, I've always had, you know, to your point of multi-hyphenism, uh, I always had a split personality artistically, uh, specifically using a pseudonym. There was a time where um, drag wasn't considered to be uh, as acceptable for a musician, right? And so I did all of this drag music, but I was a classical composer first. And I was very, very afraid that directors wouldn't take me seriously if they knew that I was doing dance songs for drag drag race contestants. Um, It turns out that's not an issue anymore. And people think this is actually really cool um, as it's part of pop culture. And as it actually is the same as being in film and television, because that's what it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I used the pseudonym ElectroPoint. And so a lot of my social media was that. And I had separate accounts for Roman versus ElectroPoint. And that's that, that, you know, multi-hyphen situation, but they've kind of collided. And um, now I wear that with a badge of honor. And so my social media is Roman Molino done, AKA Electro Point. I'm okay with uh, telling film directors that I can do that, but I can also write very sad orchestral music too. Um, anyway, that's a really long answer for where you can find me on social media, but I thought it was pertinent to the multi-hyphen stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, ElectroPoint is what most of my handles are on social media. I think that's great because I think what's happening is that certain art forms are trying to figure out how to stay relevant as possible. And with mm-hmm. social media, with outreach, people that have built that outreach with thousands of people 
I think now those numbers really do matter. Um, how big is a person is a is is an artist's personal outreach? That's going to help uh, get jobs. That's why num that's why social media um, actually, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, does matter these days. Right. Um, and I think people just want to stay relevant. And I think combining pop culture with other genres and the people that work in pop and ex is 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 all is is all important. And also, so many pop culture icons are educated in a classical background, which mm -hmm. is why their creations are fully fleshed out ideas and creations and and. Uh, and tell stories uh, and and reach millions of people because they are based in, you know, fact and what can't what's what will never grow old. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Roman, for speaking with me today and officially being a part of the Dear Multi-Hyphenate family. Uh, thank you to the Broadway Podcast Network. Thank you to Alan, Dory, Katie, Yo, you're all fantastic. And as always, follow me on Instagram at TheMichaelKushner or at Dear Multi-Hyphenate. And if you want to be a guest on Dear Multi-Hyphenate, you could submit through DearMultiHyphenate.com or message me on Instagram. And as always, rate, comment, subscribe, do all that stuff. Download the episodes. It all helps. I'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.